0: com slash Lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This show, will be talking... Well, the US Men's National Team final word after the uh, January camp. Vinny, Gio, Weston, GameStop, the Lions, Burhalter Malays, Dest Sergeant Jose Batista, pathways to stardom and so much more. But first joining me as always my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy. A soccer savant and a fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how you doing on this Monday, January 22nd in the year 2024?
2: I'm doing well despite the rainy weather in Los Angeles. And I know you're doing well because the Detroit Lions are one win away from the Super Bowl.
1: It is uh, obviously rarefied air that we find ourselves in, my friend. All grit, one pride, roaring Lions, as you mentioned. Uh, the Lawless household was uh, just, you know, in, in, a, in a complete state of bliss following the results. As you mentioned, they will now have to go up to... Uh, Where is it? Up there in San Jose-ish San Francisco, San Jose Bay Area there, up there to face the 49ers of San Francisco uh, for the opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. As you can see, if you are watching the show, I am all decked out. I got my Lions gear. I got my beanie on. I stole this from my wife. Uh, It's like a vintage Ford racing jacket. I got I got my Stroh's t-shirt on. So I am I am full on. And you know, the 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 sport. In this moment for Detroit. While while football is a a big deal, it's, it's much more than just about the sport right now. It is a celebration of this city and this state. And I think what sports does mean to this city and state. And obviously long suffering, so it makes it that much sweeter. But it's it's fun to be part of this celebration and to see not just people that are that are from Detroit or from Michigan, but People that are kind of just recognizing that this is a feel-good type of story. Who knows if it ends here? I, I, I was just talking to uh, a couple of ex- executives, including uh, Judy Boyd over there, who we talk about often. And I was explaining to her and Brad Zager um, that I'm, I'm trying to fight the tendency um, in this moment where you're just saying, well, we're just playing with house money right now. And this is all gravy. No, no. Because that's not what the Lions are about here. Yes, there is a feel-good element to the story. But ultimately, this is about doing things that people didn't believe could happen. And yes, they have done it in in terms of winning those playoff games. But don't stop now. But we got our hands full uh, up there uh, with the uh, Niners.
2: Also on Sunday, the Chiefs beat the Bills in a great game. And you know... I have a buddy named Scott Norwood, Mm -hmm. which is also the same name of the Buffalo Bills kicker who famously missed wide right at the end of Super Bowl twenty-five, Giants-Bills. And so he's had to go through life with the same name as that guy. And enough years had gone by that people were starting to forget about the other Scott Norwood. As we've established on this podcast, young people like Jack and Aaron have no clue what happened in the world before they were born. But... Lo and behold, the Bills now lose a big playoff game because their current kicker, Tyler Bass, misses wide right. Jim Nance on the call says, wide right, the two worst words for any Bills fan. So (laughs) all these young people are now Googling to try to find out what Jim Nance was referring to, becoming acquainted with Scott Norwood. So my buddy is worried that he's going to have to go through hell all over again.
1: You bring up an interesting point and and one that is often talked about when it comes to football in that. In American football, a lot of these games are ultimately decided by kickers. Now, our good friend and colleague, and, I, and he is our, uh, our good friend, Skip Bayless, <laughs> never one, as you mentioned, uh, air, to shy away from uh, making pro- proclamations. In all caps, by the way, so you know he was serious, said, I just hate huge NFL playoff games being decided by little guys who don't even play football. So, so evidently, according to Skip, the kickers don't even play football. Happened to Green Bay last night. Just happened to Buffalo, kicked in the stomach by a kicker. You 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 can't win if you're a kicker on a football team, right? You're supposed to make them, and when you make them, you are taken for granted. And yet, in that biggest moment when you do miss them, you are, you know, the person that gets all of the criticism. I I get it, but either you're a part of the team, or you're not a part of the team. By the way, I was arguing with my. my son yesterday about this whole kickoff thing i think it's absurd we sit there and we watch all of these high-paid athletes run out on the skip this is what you should put in a in a capitalized x post we sit there and we watch these guys kick this ball out of the end zone it's not sport it's not anything other than this guy kicking the ball out of the end zone and then they just start what's the point if it if it's really that dangerous and they're worried about the, the physical problems and the, uh, the violence of a, a return, then just get rid of it. Why do we even have it? But I just hate sitting there each and every time. And I would turn to my son and say, oh, that was really exciting. That was wonderful. Kicked it out of the end zone and we start. I digress a little bit. Um, I, I just wanted to get back to, to Skip. Uh, you know, I know that Skip takes a lot of heat and that's kind of his job and that's his MO. Um, when you meet Skip Bayless, as is often the times when people who are out there kind of in, in public, playing a heel uh, could not be nicer, wonderful. uh, And always even back to our ESPN days when I used to work at ESPN would always seek me out. I think I've told this before, both him and Colin Coward and others would seek me out uh, and just pick my brain a little bit about soccer with the understanding. And Skip will tell you he certainly doesn't isn't an expert. But at least he had the wherewithal to understand that there's people out there that know more than him about a certain subject. And he talks about sports. I'm not saying he talks about soccer a whole lot, but, um, but Skip's not happy about the kickers. Uh, and I kind of like it because there is a, a kindred spirit when you see those kickers that obviously are, are using their foot when it comes to soccer players.
2: Are we ready to transition to what have we been watching? Yes. Uh, have you been watching anything interesting, my friend? Another great episode of True Detective last night. Two for two. Very excited about this season.
1: I, um, I looked it up and you have a few more episodes and I think it's over in February or March or something like that. So I'm waiting, obviously, until the entire series is done and I can binge it from start to finish, but getting rave reviews. So uh, Jodie Foster was on one of the late night shows the other day talking about it and everybody seems to think that this is, I don't know if it's a return because it pretty much un- uniformly has been looked at as a successful and entertaining show in all the different episodes.
2: Yeah, the first season was transcendently great. Yep. Season two was a disaster. Season three <laughs> was a step back in the right direction. Not quite as good as season one, though. This season, I think, will be remembered as a being out, every form. bit as good as season a one. Return
1: yeah. to form. Okay, so you see, so you're still watching that. Um, let's see. I'm watching. Oh, I watched last night. It actually, it it's it came out in 2023, but it just arrived on Netflix. Dumb Money about the whole GameStop. Remember the GameStop thing that happened where. Uh, GameStop, for those that don't know is a, it's a it was a shop that sold uh, video games, right? And in this day and age where everybody kind of is digital and plays at home, you said, "All right, well, that's going to go out of business." And a lot of people shorted it. A lot of big, big money people shorted it, and the masses rose up together to fight you know the rich elites out there and to do the opposite in terms of buying into GameStop. And it was just a, I thought it was really well done in that explain, it, it, it explained what can be a very complex type of situation in a way that I could digest it, and I think others could. It also, it's kind of ripped from the headlines, and therefore it, it takes place during the pandemic. And so they had to kind of maneuver around the whole mask moment. I mean, whether it was actual scenes with people that are having masks on and having them take them off at different times to actually show the actors, or... The, um, the the Zooms that were done where people are testifying in front of con- Congress. You, you'd forgotten about this, testifying in front of Congress on a Zoom and all that kind of stuff. So it was a fascinating look back to an era that's not that long ago, but it does kind of seem long ago. And from a business perspective, again, all of these different um, documentaries uh, or docudramas that are coming out relative to all the ups and downs that happen when it comes to technology out there. I just think that this is going to... Con- keep going uh, and there are going to be more and more of these things that we talk about. Uh, Should we light this candle, my friend? Let's
2: do it. All right, where should we start? On Saturday, the U.S. men's national team suffered a 1-0 friendly defeat to Slovenia in San Antonio. You and I did a 30-minute spaces after the match. That is now available in podcast form if people want to go listen to all our thoughts. Uh, But you've now had 48 hours to reflect. Anything you didn't say in the spaces you'd like to bring up or anything you talked about that you'd like to repeat? Um,
1: well, there's a couple of things. I think just in general, whether you listen to it or not, I, I think the, um, the, the final verdict is a couple of things. One, this doesn't really matter in the greater scheme of things, okay? Was it irrelevant? Eh, not really. But the result is not going to change the way that I feel about this team relative to this summer and relative to 26. It's not going to change my feelings when it comes to, uh, comes to Greg Berhalter. I mean, i want to win and that's not a good look to lose no matter who's on the field but again we are going to move on if there are any winners that uh come out of it i think it's um let's see uh luna and um let's see uh oh, the uh byraktarovic i think i've pronounced that right but
2: uh taravich i think is
1: by tarovich i think is what <laughs> Esmir All right. Anyway, he's the 18-year-old homegrown player that plays at New England, uh, and he came in, and I think he really turned a bunch of heads. So those are, from, from a young perspective, things to look forward to, uh, to going forward. But what I, what, what I want to take out of the, uh, the spaces that we did, for those that didn't hear it, and maybe have you expand upon it a little bit, is this notion that Greg Berhalter, who we know has been given a... Lease on life, new lease on life, a second chance when it certainly could have been, <laughs> thank you very much, but we're moving in a new direction. And you brought this up on the, uh, on the spaces, Masi, that there is a danger, and maybe you're already feeling it, of a malaise and an apathy coming in to what Greg Burhalter is doing with this team. And that, I think, is fair and valid. I also think it's dangerous for Greg Berhalter because as much as we talk about this group maturing and, and evolving and growing and we want to see a better version of this group, I think a lot of us that were supportive of Greg want to see a better version of Greg Berhalter. And who knows? We might see it this summer, but we have yet to really see how Greg Berhalter has evolved and changed. And maybe that's what you were getting at, but I just wanted to give you an opportunity to expand upon that.
2: Yeah. Listen, you and I initially were against bringing Burhalter back because we don't love coaches doing two cycles. And then the Geo thing happened and you moved into the camp of, well, that shouldn't be the reason why he doesn't keep his job. So you wanted going anyway. to be rehired. Yep. Uh, but now that the dust has settled on the whole Geo situation, some of the reasons we were against Burhalter coming back are starting to creep in. And listen- there are bigger tests ahead. In March, they have the Nations League Final Four, obviously in the summer of the Copa America. So we'll know then if this is just a false impression right now, if, if there's really something there. But I don't know. Just watching these first few matches in the burhalter 2.0 era, it just feels flat to me. It feels like a program where there should be a lot of excitement right now, building up to this Copa America and the World Cup in 26 and all these young, exciting players. And you see what the likes of Pulisic and McKinney are doing at club level. Ricardo Pepe also and yet i don't know i sit down and watch these games and there's just a, a stale feeling to me
1: yeah and it and it comes down to a feeling whether we delve into the you know the, the details and the minutia of it or it's just i'm not feeling it and that's even not feeling something is is a valid reaction and there are great coaches that they make you feel something whether you can pinpoint what what it is on the field or not you leave the game saying hey that was that was fun i want to come back for more and i get the feeling that you and others too often now are leaving the, the end of the game and saying, well, do I really want to come back for more of that? And so that, that is a problem for Greg Burhalter. And, um, if this is a step back in order to go two steps forward, like you said, that's fine. But ultimately from a results perspective, unsuccessful January camp, but who knows, maybe they found some diamonds in the rough.
2: I saw that Jesse Marsh said, uh, we're trying to play like Spain 2010 and we don't have the players to do it. You famously accused Berhalter of trying to paint the Sistine Chapel with crayons. I don't know if this match is the best example of that. Nevertheless, there still is this overall debate about the direction that he's trying to take the U.S. team.
1: Well, to, to counter Jesse, um, uh, what I, I will also criticize those that at the first sign of problems, at the first sign of challenge, will immediately betray their ethos. And in this sense, Greg Berhalter, if he believes that this is the way to play, which is what Jesse is criticizing here, he's not not criticizing how they're playing, he's criticizing whether they have the players to actually do that. But you don't know until you try. And if you believe that this is the way a team should play, then that's an ethos. That is an identity that everybody has to either have when they get there or adjust to accommodate. And so I, I, I get what, what Jesse is saying, and it's easy to you know, throw from the outside, and I certainly do, and, and we do on a continual basis. But if Greg Berhalter had, in this case, just completely gone pragmatic and found a way in the, in the quote, ugliest version of the game to not do that uh, to what he has talked about over the last few years, and even back when he first started, to your point, when I, when I criticized then that that would be a betrayal. And that in and of itself would be worthy of criticism.
2: I do agree with you. The two positives were Diego Luna and Barak Tarevich. I want to say his name correctly at least (laughs) once in this segment. Wait, wait, you don't think I said it correctly. Hold on. No, no, no. You said it correctly. I said it wrong.
1: Okay, good. All right, good. I just uh, I don't want anybody yelling, screaming at me. But he yeah, he's he's he's
2: one for the uh, one for the future. All right. Where should we go now? Uh, We go to Spain, and you know, a college student recently reached out to me on social media and said she was working on a paper on VAR and asked if we could discuss VAR on the podcast. I said, sure. Sure. And so I've spent the last week hoping for some VAR controversy so I could naturally bring it up and not have to force it. So I would like to thank the officiating crew in the Real Madrid Almeria game. Uh, Real Madrid hosted last place and winless Almeria. We figured it would be no problem, but they found themselves down 2-0 in the second half. And then a series of decisions went their way, which helped them overturn matters. They ended up winning 3-2. First, it was a penalty for a handball on Brazilian defender Kaiki. Jude Bellingham converted to make it 2-1. Then Almeria had a goal chalked off because they spotted a foul in the buildup. Vinicius then made it 2-2 on a play where it was hard to tell whether it went off his arm or his shoulder. It was awarded a goal. And then Carvajal late made it 3-2. You texted myself and Sean Sullivan during all this ridiculousness in Madrid. What did you mean by that? What were your thoughts on this whole situation?
1: I thought it was a handball. I thought it was a clear handball and I thought it was going to be called... Uh, called back, and certainly when VAR showed it, and we've just, if you're watching...
2: The Vinicius one you're the talking The Vinicius about, one, yeah. excuse
1: me, yes. Uh, I don't think... I don't buy into the conspiracy that others <laughs> and um, including, I guess, Barcelona at this time, I mean, because if you're going to beat Barcelona, you need everything to go right. And you could just feel the weight and the shift of that game, that they were coming one way or the other, that it's by a controversial type of call here. Yeah, I, you, you can feel aggrieved and you can complain, but it's not as, it's not as if that was, the, that was the moment that changed the game.
2: I spoke to my father this morning mm-hmm. uh, and his take, which is very similar to mine, was that if you look at, each of the three decisions in a vacuum, they're all defensible. None of them is outrageous, but it's just the fact that there were three could go either way decisions that all went Real Madrid's way.
1: So you're, you got the tinfoil on, is what you're saying. You and your father believe that there is the fixes in and that Real Madrid have been, are being handed this.
2: What's interesting about you bringing up Barcelona is they're under investigation right now for that Negreta case, the fact that for a period of many years they were making. Uh, payments to the head of La Liga officiating and they've accused Real Madrid of being incredibly cynical by acting indignant about all this because they're the club that gets the most refereeing help so this is an interesting conversation we're having now in the context of the Barcelona controversy.
1: I mean this is like rich people complaining that you know their uh, you know their reservation is being canceled at a really nice restaurant, or delayed 15 minutes at a really nice restaurant.
2: It is interesting, though. In Spain, there's the criticism that VAR is overturning too many calls. In the Premier League, they became so sensitive to that criticism that some people think they've overcompensated, and now VAR is reluctant to overturn any calls. I know we're not going to talk about England this week, but uh, our boss, Zach Kenworthy, big Liverpool fan, was furious that In that Bournemouth-Liverpool game, Clivert didn't get sent off for that tackle on Diaz, which looked exactly the same as what Curtis Jones did against Tottenham. So trying to find that balance of how much VAR should interfere and overturn refereeing decisions, uh, we're still sort of struggling with that with VAR.
1: I was told that we just want to get the calls right, Mossy. That was the mantra from the start, all right? And now that we're getting them... Right, even notwithstanding what we just talked about there, but for certainly for the vast majority of, them, that we are getting them right, people are angry <laughs> that we're getting these calls right. Ah, you can't, you, you can't win. You mentioned we're not going to talk about the EPL, although uh, at the end of this show, yes, I got, I got a little something for you.
2: Now uh, we know you've been watching a lot of American football because you're captivated by this Lions story. Mm-hmm. Do you do any sort of compare and contrast between how replay works in that sport with the coaching challenges and all the rest?
1: Yeah, I the coaching challenges I, I get it in that you don't want to constantly and and maybe it's cuz it's football where there are all these stoppages and you you re- review every single thing. I mean, which game was it yesterday? I think it was in uh Buffalo where they determined that the ball had come out and therefore went out of the end zone. It was a touchback or whatever and stuff like that. And so they were able to figure that out. I mean, that's, a, that's good. That's something in normal, to, or normal times, in previous times, never would have been seen, right? Or they never would have been able to confirm what the call, what, what the call was. So I, I don't have a problem with uh with the way that v i don't call, they don't call it var right it's just review i guess or whatever what right. the, they with with the way that nfl uses var it already it's already stopping and starting no matter what so i've just i've just acquiesced yeah you know, okay fine this is what's going to happen there's there is no rhythm to a football game other than the stop start rhythm that i guess exists
2: But, you know, with VAR, it is a classic. Can't live with it. Can't live without it. We're we're covering Comnebol's Olympic qualifying tournament, which doesn't have VAR. I did a game yesterday on FS1 Argentina-Paraguay. Keith Costigan and Kobe Jones on the call. And throughout the game, Keith and Kobe were both saying, it's so refreshing to call a game without VAR. It just flows much better. And then, lo and behold... Paraguay was up 1-0 in the 90th minute. Argentina scored an equalizer where it was very debatable whether the guy was offsides or not. And Keith goes kind of sheepishly, well, they might have wanted to take another look at that one, but we don't have VAR, so I guess it's a goal. <laughs> I
0: mean,
1: all right. I, I get there's a, a nostalgia and a romance for the game back then. I think sometimes we forget the angst that existed especially in a technology age where we didn't have VAR, but we were able to see what was going on because those of us in the broadcast business, we're going to put it on and we're going to show you, hey, they just screwed up. This is the wrong call. These guys just got screwed. And, uh, I don't know. All right, Moss. what else?
2: Uh, elsewhere in Spain, Barcelona with a 4-2 away win over Real Betis, Ferran Torres with a hat trick, Joan Felix got the other, Isco scored both Betis goals. But the big story from an American perspective, Johnny Cardoso started for Betis, went more than 70 minutes, played well, got a nice ovation from the fans when he came off. So we have another American to follow in La Liga. Brazilian-American, right?
1: Yeah. I'll say it for you. I mean, for those that might not have been following, came over uh, from, where was he playing in Brazil again? Internacional. There we go. Internacional. And now his European adventure is off to a good start. So we're happy for him.
2: I know you're not the biggest fan of his, but I do think he has a good chance to emerge as the like-for-like backup to Tyler Adams. The lineup with... McKinney and Musa sitting and Gio as a 10, I think can work against 95% of the national teams in the world. But there are a handful where it would probably be suicide to play that team. And so there could be a scenario in the next couple of years where the U.S. plays a big game against an Argentina, France. Tyler Adams is unavailable, but you still want to play that 4-3-3 with a pivot. And I think Johnny, now he has to do it for the national team. His exactly. U.S. performance is a bit poor. Yep. But at the very least, at club level, he had a very good last few months with Internacional. If he can... Uh, do well in La Liga for a top half of the table team and hold his own against the likes of Barcelona around Madrid, Atletico Madrid. From a pedigree standpoint, I think he would emerge as the clear candidate for that backup to Tyler Adams spot.
1: And to your point, if it's a Johnny Cardoso that we have seen over the last few years relative to his play in Brazil and translating that to the national team, then I don't think he's good enough. If this move now pushes him to another level and he is able to do either more things or um, better the things that he already does, okay. And I, I can I can be convinced. So let's hope yeah. that this is uh, a part of his evolution and a different Johnny Cardoso shows up for the National team. Because to your point, he has not grabbed hold of that.
2: Right. The turning point for me was that Johnny was always a bit of a tweener between a six and an eight. And then International hired this coach, Kuday, last season, who turned him into a six and really taught him how to play in that role. So I think now he's clearly a six. Uh, I think... It's pretty defined what his position is, which in the U.S. Uh, depth chart would mean as a backup to Tyler Adams. Girona, incidentally, continued to roll 5-1 win over Sevilla. Ukrainian striker Artem Dovbek with a hat-trick. He's now level with Jude Bellingham atop the scoring charts in La Liga. My Brazilian boys Savinho and Jan Koto continuing to play well. Girona, one point ahead of Real Madrid. Real Madrid have played one fewer game. Next up for Girona on Wednesday, they are away to Stu Holden's Mallorca in the Copa del Rey.
1: All right. So here we are on, as we said, January 22nd, and we are still talking about Girona, right? They are living up and even surpassing what people believed was going to be not a flame out, but a, 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 a regression at a certain point. Does it happen here in the next five months, four months uh, going forward? Is it, I think they're for real. That's not, that's, not, that's not the question here, but do they have the legs to do, to do this?
2: I think they finish in the top four, which is noteworthy. Uh, And by the way, it creates a little bit of a logistical headache for UEFA if Giron and Manchester City are both in the Champions League. But uh, I don't see them winning the title. I think Real Madrid will ultimately prevail there. All right. So far, so good. Uh, Next up, we go to Italy. On Saturday, AC Milan with a 3-2 away win over Udinese. Pulisic started. He was replaced by Jovic when Milan was down 2-1. Jovic scored to make it 2-2. And then Okafor in stoppage time, 3-2. Musa came on deep in stoppage time. Unfortunately, the bigger story here is this game was interrupted in the first half because Milan keeper Mike Mignon was subjected to racist abuse by the Udinese fans. He walked off the field. His teammates followed him. They eventually returned. The match resumed, but this is triggering more discussions about the issue of racism. Gian Fantino came out and said, he's in favor of teams forfeiting matches if their fans uh, chant racist stuff to the opposition.
1: Yeah, I mean it, and, and on the surface of it, you say, well, it's just simple, like like Johnny said or anybody else said, it should forfeit it, okay um, And what if it is weaponized by fans and and it's just it's, it's such a hard thing. however. When it comes to the protocol and the actions, you know, I thought in this situation there was a recognition, an immediate recognition, not just by the, the players on the field, but by the referees and by the, uh, the leadership around there. Boom, game stopped. Uh, Milan comes back, immediately lets in a goal. And it, it, it's got to be difficult for any player to have to go through something like that because now you're, you're almost fighting on two fronts and it's completely unfair. And I'm not talking about people criticizing and yelling and screaming screaming things that's this, but this is beyond the pale, and obviously it can have a triggering effect to uh, to to certain players and it's easy to say, just put it out of your mind and go what are you doing well that's that's not as easy as it as it sounds, especially if you're a goalkeeper with literally your back you know to what is going on, and you have to go back in there and And save the ball so in the in the greater sense of the game and the shithousery and the ridiculousness and the disgusting nature of what happened i'm glad that ac milan was able to come back on the field not just finish the game but win the game and say to those and and it's you know we you know i hope it's a vocal minority you know put this where the sun don't shine and and go on but I again I don't know what I don't know what the solution is when you have masses that you know, individuals or at times groups and, and bigger groups, because sometimes we feel more comfortable in groups, doing things like this. Other you stop the game and then from there you go on with the uh, with the protocol. And you end up, if you do what Johnny has said and, and others, possibly punishing people, punishing players, punishing fans punishing Punishing, I guess, communities for the actions of a few,
2: but maybe that's the only way that uh, this can be solved. You're right; it's such a tricky one because I know it feels good for people to say, "Yeah, dock them points; they should be relegated; they should forfeit matches." But I often think there are black players on the teams whose fans are racially abusing the other players, so it's weird for them to pay a price for it in a way. You know, so I I, I don't know. I think the it's a tricky one for it sure. is
1: it is, but uh, but. Polisic, uh, as far as the actual competition on the field. And, uh, um, you know, Polisic continues to
2: go on. Knock on wood, stay healthy. Uh, staying in Syria, Juventus with a 3 0 away win over Lecce. Vlahovic with two goals. Bremer got the other. Wesson McKinney thought he had his first goal of the season. He had a header that was going in, but Vlahovic got a touch before across the goal line. So it became an assist for McKinney instead.
1: Can I just defend Vlahovic on this play? Because we, we see it at different times. Well, first off, this guy's a poacher. This guy, His job is to put the ball on the back of the net. So inherent in that is that you are selfish and you should be selfish. And I want you to be selfish. I want you to want to score every single goal. And in this moment, he can't see what's behind him. He doesn't know what's going on. He's, he doesn't have a protractor out and try to figure out the angles, ultimately. and. So I, I have no problem with what Valovich did. You know, he got up and was a little sheepish af- after it, but he has no, no reason to be sheepish or to apologize. He did what every good
2: goal scorer would and should do. Try telling that to Sean Selvin because he was fired up about this over a text message.
1: Well, I mean, look, if it hadn't been Weston McKinney, would he have been fired up? No, it's because of our affiliation and because it's Weston McKinney and because there was American that, if you look at the play, you can certainly make an argument that he was denied a goal, which would have been his first goal of the year. He's had a great year, but from a goal-scoring pers- perspective, he doesn't score a whole lot of goals. And he got, got to that far post and headed it back, uh, back nicely, back in the area that you're supposed to head it back in. And that it was going in the goal, you know, tough. Put it in. They scored. I think, I think Weston's going to be just fine.
2: And I should say McKinney started. Timmy Week came on as a sub. Juve now one point ahead of Inter at the top of the table, but they've played one more game. Inter are in Saudi Arabia contesting the Super Cup. They faced Napoli later today. Uh, we go next to Germany. Dortmund with a 4-0 away win over Cologne. Malin scored twice. Fulker Krug and Makoka got the others. Jaden Sancho started, played well. Gio Reyna came on late in the second half and was involved in the fourth goal. I have to say... I thought we had reached a point where his departure is so imminent that they weren't even going to play him anymore. I was actually mildly surprised he came on in this game. But the rumors continued to percolate. Uh, Build had a report where they named a bunch of La Liga teams as possibilities: Sociedad, Atlético Madrid, Sevilla. There's about 10 days left in the transfer window. Doug McIntyre incidentally spoke to Greg Berhalter about it, and Berhalter said he's all for Gio moving in search of more playing time.
1: Yeah, In this particular game where it was a fait accompli, right, if you have multiple people that are potentially bidding for Gio, they know who he is, but it's still nice to kind of stick him in the store window, especially in a game like this where you know you're going to have the ball. And he ended up assisting and he uh, you know, was uh, you know a part of it. But it was strange to actually see them. But again, maybe it's relative to the fact that a sale is, is happening. They just don't know who it's going to be. And obviously, they want to get as much money for him as possible. And they just want to continue to remind the suitors out there that, hey, this is a good player.
2: Uh, elsewhere in the Bundesliga Leverkusen came from behind to beat Leipzig 3-2 and Bayern Munich lost 1-0 at home to Werder And the gap is now 7 now Bayern have played one fewer game but I spoke to Keith Kosovan about this on Sunday he thinks there's a real chance here this might happen
1: haven't we done this before?
2: <laughs> We've done it with Dortmund, though, and we know that they melt in this situation. We don't right. know yet about Leverkusen. Who knows? Maybe they're different. Xabi Alonso. They host Bayern February 10th, so that's going to be a huge game. Six-pointer,
1: as they say, right?
2: Six-pointer, as they say, <laughs> yes.
1: All right. All right. Well, I, I still,
2: I'm still going to go with Bayern no matter what. Until You're still in. I'll believe it when I see yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Moment. Exactly. Uh, and then some miscellaneous Yanks Abroad stuff. Jordan Pifak scored for Gladbach in their 2-1 defeat to Augsburg, up to six goals in all competitions this season. Could Pifak work his way back into the U.S. center forward picture?
1: I mean, it was a scrappy goal. Uh, not, not, I mean, goals are goals. I get it. And so, an American scoring goals, I'm happy with that. But I don't, I'm not sure that Jordan Pifak is, it's not easy that he's not on the radar, because we've seen him before. And if he's scoring a lot of goals, again, only because there's still nobody that's really grabbed it with both hands. And so it's still it's not as wide open because Balogun has come along, but it's still a wide open type of position for the uh, for the U.S. But I'm not sure how sexy Jordan Pifak is to Greg Berhalter and company in January 2024.
2: Uh, speaking of American center forwards, two were involved in the same match in the championship. Norwich beat West Brom two 0 Sargent started and scored for Norwich. DK came on for the Baggies in the second half.
1: Josh actually got a uh, Josh Sargent had a really nice goal. Uh, I loved his first touch to get away, and then he just kind of smashes it. It wasn't as as pretty a finish as you would kind of like, or as clinical a finish you would like. But nobody's going to care. They all count the same. So that was uh, that was fun to see again. After long uh, layoffs with injury, both of these players coming back uh, and Josh getting on the board. That's a good thing. I, I think that relative to PFOC, Josh Sargent is, is, for Greg Berhalter, probably a whole lot more interesting and um, appetizing.
2: We go to the Eredivisie next. PSV had won their first 17 games of the season. They finally dropped points, held to a 1-1 draw by Utrecht. Dest and Tillman started. Pepe came on as a sub. Dest assisted the PSV goal. Yeah,
1: over there on that left-hand side again with, uh, with Dest, for those that are watching. And, you know, you put the ball in dangerous areas. We're used to seeing Dest be involved in the attack, much more from an individual perspective and, and dribbling and tricks and flicks and all that kind of stuff. But um, this is, this is Sergio Dest playing, well, first off, at a place where he's playing consistently. And where I think he feels a confidence that he hasn't felt at previous uh, previous places, and it shows. And so, this is good. Again, is Serginho Dest the best left back and right back for the U.S. men's national team?
2: I wouldn't say left back. I think Anthony Robinson. Okay, but so. I mean,
1: well, I think I think I think there's at the least a discussion. So
2: interesting. And then, last but not least in this segment, uh, League MX. A couple of Americans made their debuts for their new clubs uh, this weekend. Kate Cowell came on for Chivas in their 1 0 defeat to Tigres. And Brandon Vasquez came on for Monterey in their 2 0 victory over Santos Laguna.
1: It must be you know, wonderful, but also kind of dizzying for these players. So, you know, when you go to a new country, <clears throat> a new culture, in certain instances, a, a new language. Um, and you've, you've seen it from afar. You might have watched it on TV. You might have grown up watching it. And you have these preconceived notions about what the team is, what the league is, what the culture is. And then just like that, you get the call and off you go. And the quicker you realize that it's the game that you've been playing all along, maybe with some little differences here or there, the better off you are. But I think it's, it's going to be fun to watch um, both of these players and the adventures that they have, and how quickly they are able to adjust to whatever is new in the, uh, in the environments that they're in.
2: I think we all agree that from a quality standpoint, there's actually not that much difference anymore between MLS and League MX. But a lot of people on Twitter are really talking up the added pressure in League MX, how much more demanding the fans are, and that these players are going to have to adjust to that.
1: What does that mean? What does that mean that they're more demanding? They, they yell louder? They scream mean things in the street? Or or what i mean i i don't know if that is necessarily true again this gets back to the purity test uh, or the passion test if you will of fans and what what to you or somebody that's that's listening or watching here what what makes a country or culture or a league more passionate than another one is it again because in the 22 and a half hours <laughs> aside from the game people are talking about it or people are yelling at you on the street or something like that. I, I I don't necessarily think that that is true. You may perceive that it's true because it's more in the press and maybe it is more talked about, but I don't necessarily think that that, ne- that necessarily you are under more pressure than any place else that you have been. That is it. Okay. Let's take another quick break. And we, when you come back, Oh, we got something really, really special with you. An interview with Jose Batista, legendary baseball player, and now a soccer owner. So don't go anywhere.
3: Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more. Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16 twenty four. See participating retailer for details.
1: All right, welcome back. As I said, joining us, Jose Bautista, the new owner of the Las Vegas Lights uh, of the USL Championship. Bautista, six time All Star, with three hundred and forty four home runs, nine hundred and seventy five RBIs, one thousand twenty two runs. 15 seasons, eight different teams along the way, plenty of iconic moments, but one that you will never forget in 2015 on that playoff go-ahead home run and the infamous and epic bat flip that followed. Unbelievable. And that cemented him certainly in Blue Jays history. He's a uh, represented the Dominican Republic in the 2020 Olympics over there in Tokyo, earned a bronze medal. But now, now he's one of us, baby. He is in the soccer world. He is knee deep in the soccer world. Welcome to the state of the union podcast, Jose, I guess the first question or, or questions is why soccer, why USL and why Vegas?
4: Well, thanks for having me in that great intro, man. I appreciate it. I need a hype man. Like you more often, um, <laughs> uh, getting me all excited over here. Um, no, listen, I, I've been looking into soccer for quite a bit as an investment, right? Uh, I was looking at different opportunities, uh, in all levels, uh, and in all leagues, even international, um, Sometimes things just they just don't work out, and they don't feel great. Uh, this one felt great right from the get go, and the market is obviously uh, a great one, and it's shown it recently. Vegas is starting to get on the map as one of the top pro sports cities in the world. Um, the USL, it just fits. I think it's a great that's poised for uh, a great league that's poised for a lot of growth, and uh, it's the right time for me, and and I think uh, we're gonna do great things uh, in Las Vegas uh, inside of the USL.
1: I mean, like you said, uh, you, you kick the tires on a lot of different, I guess, leagues and teams out there and places to put your money. Uh, you've been very, very fortunate. Uh, and you're looking at this as a business investment when it comes to soccer, because you're going to put your money into plenty of different other investments out there. Why do you see soccer heading in the right direction, not just specifically for Las Vegas, but being involved in the soccer ecosystem, especially in the United States?
4: I just think that's where the sport is coming from and where the growth path is. Uh, a sport, uh, The soccer uh, as a sport within North America, that first uh, process or stage of early adoption is, is long in the rearview mirror. And I think with the tailwinds coming, with common ball, potentially the women's World Cup, the men's World Cup, and the Olympics, and big soccer component there, and possibly a, a ton of other tournaments that are going to be had here, and what's happening at MLS, uh, what's happening at the USL, I think it's just the timing is good, and um, I couldn't be more excited.
1: Now, you've been a professional athlete, and the relationship between ownership and players sometimes can get contentious. What kind of an owner are you going to be for the Las uh, Las Vegas Lights? For some that don't know, uh, this is a team that started in 2018, has not had a lot of success, has yet to make the playoffs. So what are you going to do on and off the field for this business that you are now an owner of? Well,
4: first and foremost, I'm going to try to create a winning culture. I think it all starts there. Uh, And I'm going to take my athlete or former athlete mentality right into it. I I hate to lose and love to win, and it all starts there. So I'm right now focused on putting that great team of people together, both on the business side and on the sporting side, to uh, make that happen as quickly as possible. Um, I want to win. That's basically it. Everything else will take care of itself if you do that. Uh, The things that we're going to do off the field are pretty much – Uh, what every uh, sports organization wants to do within their communities have huge positive impact in any way, shape, or form that you
1: can. Uh, You mentioned some, you know, off the field, this is a a team that to be quite honest has been, you know, wonderful and I guess notorious for the things that it has done off the field, the promotions, the marketing, some of it, you know, just incredibly over the top. I love it. Uh, I think it has drawn people into the brand. Are you going to be continuing with doing that? And, How involved are you going to be with the actual day in and day out business, whether it's the uh, selling of tickets, uh, whether it's the marketing out there and the sponsorship going forward off the field in terms of making that money and making that business work?
4: I think as a principal owner, my my biggest responsibility is to be a steward for all the stakeholders, right? i got to put a great team of people in place that are more knowledgeable than, than I am in all those different areas. Like you said, ticketed merchandise, you know, sales. Um, and even on the soccer side. My, my my role is to have oversight and make sure that the values of the organization and how we want to cause impact within our community are respected along the way. Now, um, listen, it's, uh, it's not going to be an easy task. There's a lot of work to be done. Um, and as far as all the past history on how the team used to market itself, I don't know what the story is going to be there. We want to be respectful of the relationship that the fans have with the club, but I want to run this as a world-class organization. And again, I want to hire the experts that are going to tell me what the best route is uh, in order to foster and continue to develop the relationship with the fans, uh, but also run this as a world-class organization.
1: Now, you've been nice enough to let us uh, over here at Fox double dip in that you are going to go from this interview right over to flipping bats with uh, Ben Verlander and, and talk some baseball and soccer for that matter. And this wonderful synergy that we have when you look at the landscape of soccer and baseball in the United States, one of the things, as you know, in the soccer world that we talk a lot about is growing the game and getting as many young players playing it as possible, whether they become professionals or not. How do you see some of the similarities and the differences and maybe some of the challenges with both sports going forward? Obviously, baseball, an established American pastime, and soccer, kind of this nouveau riche type of thing that has come to the fore of late.
4: I just think because of the history and how long baseball has had, its infrastructure in place, the high level of the technical aspect and the coaching, it's a little bit more accessible right now. Obviously, soccer is a bigger... Uh, sport in the worldwide aspect and how accessible and easy it is to play the actual game. But you would know more than me in this area uh, as a rookie still in the soccer realm. uh, My instinct is telling me that as far as the technical aspect goes, I think within North America, there's still some uh, ground to be made up. And the fact that we have platforms such as this one uh, with the USL that we can have an academy team, we can reach the local youth soccer organizations, now I have, um, I guess, a a way to be able to influence that in a way in hiring, you know, those high caliber technical coaches that will raise the level of the game from the bottom up.
1: One of the similarities between the two sports, I think, is the international aspect of it. And, you know, you were a player and you represented your country and we talked about the Olympics and it's, whether it's baseball or soccer or any place, you know, getting up there and, wearing that shirt and singing the anthem and doing all the different things. It's such an important component of, of, of sports in general, but certainly of baseball. And we see, you know, how, how the world baseball classic has evolved and, and going forward. Do you, do you see the international component and the international rivalries and the pride that comes along with all of that continuing to be more important when it comes to both baseball and soccer for that matter going forward? Yeah, I
4: think, you know, baseball has a, a lot uh to learn from soccer in that aspect and the fact that it can become more of a global sport and it has done a lot of uh great things uh in the last few years it's just become a focus i would say i guess in the last 15 or 20 years uh but there's still room to grow and that's part of the the appetizing thing about uh, baseball it hasn't reached that peak uh soccer is obviously way more global uh, so domestically, it can still make some ground. So both sports can learn from each other. And I think they both have room for growth. And they're both great representation of, you know, a great sports that will, you know, allow kids a chance and a path to access different things, whether it's education or a path to professionalism and just be able to, to lead healthy uh, lifestyles uh, within their, their life and, and also make great impact to the local communities.
1: A couple questions before I let you go here. Uh, When it comes to your your soccer background, um, you know, for example, did you grow up watching players? Are there heroes that you have? I know I've seen pictures of you with Messi. Uh, So give us a little bit more about your soccer upbringing and your soccer background and your soccer connections.
4: So unfortunately, as a kid when I was growing up, soccer wasn't the most accessible. Uh, We were known for baseball, baseball and baseball. Um, So that's why I became a baseball player, but I used to play around with a couple of kids at school and around uh, my neighborhood when the World Cups would come around. Who wouldn't follow the World Cups and get a ball and start playing games? All of a sudden you felt like you were one of the top stars uh, when the World Cup used to come around. And then after um, just becoming more of a fan of, of the Spanish League and the EPL over the years and learning that my that side of my family was from a small town in Barcelona, I couldn't help it but to follow... Uh, FC Barcelona, closer and fall in love with uh, guys like like Messi and and uh, Neymar and others. Um, so that's kind of like how I got uh, exposed to soccer early on. All
1: right, look, you're a soccer guy. Last question for you. Give me one thing in baseball, if I just made you king for a day, that you would change either on or off the field. And then give me one thing in soccer that you would change on or off the field.
4: Yeah, that's a tough one. Um in baseball, uh, as far as MLB, I would probably make the season a little bit shorter. It sounds crazy, and baseball takes pride in having the longest season in all sports, and I love it as well. But I would shorten it up to what it used to be, maybe more around uh, 140 games, and then add another full round of the playoffs. I would love to see that format. And then in soccer, man, it's uh, it's also hard to come up with something here on the fly, but um, I've... I've really love the VAR. I know in some leagues it hasn't been fully implemented. It just gets the call. Right. And, uh, I think it cleans up a lot of the, um, subjective, uh, stuff that happens sometimes with human beings who end up being the refs. Uh, so VAR is something that I hope continues to get adoption all across the globe.
1: Oh man. I love both of those answers. You're a, you're a soccer guy. You're a VAR guy, uh, less games when it comes to major league baseball. Listen, uh, Jose Batista, thank you so much for coming on the State of the Union. I, I'll be your hype man anytime that you want, whether it's with the lights or anything else. But as the new owner of the Las Vegas Lights, I wish you all the luck in the world in this new venture, both on and off the field. Hopefully we'll get the State of the Union uh, out there to actually see a game and seeing what you were doing on the ground over there in Las Vegas. Thank you so much. Good luck, my friend, in 2024 and beyond
4: thank you i would love for you guys to come out so we'll roll out the red carpet for you guys in vegas so come
1: on out there wonderful all right we'll take another quick break and when we come back it's time for ask
3: getting ready to take on spring make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools from hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more Right now, you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
1: Okay, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that interview with uh, Jose Batista. I thought it was really interesting, um, but it's time for Ask Alexi. Uh, You use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there and you send in your comments, questions, and concerns. Keep in mind that our handle out there on all the social media platforms is SOTU with Alexi. Or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297. What do
2: the folks want to know this episode, Mossy? We have a couple of voicemails. Let's listen to the first one right now.
0: Hello, this is Miguel from Reseda. I
4: had
2: a question on Inter
4: Miami. Do you think that Inter Miami winning MLS Cup 2024 is good or bad for the league? I'm kind of torn. I want the best player to ever play the game to win a cup in our country, but also I don't want players that are almost 40 to um, win a cup. So. I don't know
0: what
1: you guys think. Uh, I love the pause. Uh, take care. Gal. Yeah. Um, that was interesting. That's an interesting question. And I think it gets back to actually an evergreen type of question that we have had with players that have come over to Major League Soccer and big players in that you want them to do well because them not doing well makes you look like it was just signed for the name. But if they come over and they dominate, then you know what's going to come out of the woodwork is those that saying, of course they dominate because it's a crap league and it's mediocre and uh, substandard in terms uh, of the level. I think, in general, if Inter Miami were to win MLS Cup in 2024 with Messi and that you know all-star cast that they have, I think that the, the publicity. And the attention, not just domestically, but internationally, that it would garner far outweighs the folks that are going to say, yeah, it's because the league isn't good enough, and they just came in and, and wiped everybody off the face um, with, uh, with these players, some of whom are beyond their limit and past their, past their prime. So it is a balance. I would, uh, so I would take it. If I'm on the other teams, though, I want to beat Miami and I want to beat Miami specifically because they have Messi. specifically because they get all of that attention. And I want to make sure that you send a message that for all the money and all the tension and all the fame and all that kind of stuff, that's all fine and well. But when that whistle blows, it's a different type of situation. So I don't know, Mossy. what do you think?
2: I saw Matt Doyle in one of his articles uh, last week, dubbed Inter Miami, the the best roster ever assembled in MLS history. Really? Yeah.
1: I don't know about that. I mean, now I'm now I'm you piqued my interest, so now there you go. It's exactly what Matt wanted to do, and now I'm going to have to go read the article.
2: I agree with you. The good far outweighs the bad. I will say, there's a part of me that would have wanted to see Messi blend in with a quote unquote normal MLS roster instead of this bring the get the band back together type of thing with him. Bringing all these Barcelona players, there, Suarez, Busquets, Alba, there is a little bit of a globetrotter, New York Cosmos kind of feel to the squad. It doesn't feel like your "quote unquote" typical MLS team.
1: Yeah, and there is there is going to be, as I mentioned, a Schadenfreude, a type of um, mentality for the other, I guess it would be twenty eight teams in the league, in that you know they'll be looking at, into Miami, and while they recognize the good that Messi and company is bringing to the league. They'll also be saying, you know, you were able to do different things and all of this attention that you're getting. And, again, the ability to kind of shove that back in their face, it's going to taste sweet for a lot of teams out there. What else do we have, Mossy?
2: We have another voicemail. Let's take a listen now. Corey Dye from Tampa, Florida. My question is, as a parent to a male U-14 player, uh, strong, dedicated, semi-promising. What is your recommended pathway that parents should be putting youth players in for success or uh, the best place to get seen? Thank you.
1: All right. Thank you, Corey, from Tampa. Look, you are, you are not alone, and it doesn't just apply to soccer. I'm sure it applies to a lot of different sports. And as a parent... You never want to feel that you didn't do everything that you could to help your son or daughter. In this case, Corey, your son is right in that, I guess, sweet spot or fork in the road. Now, I think you have to have a kind of come-to-Jesus moment with yourself and then with your son. You already mentioned that he's okay, semi-good. Not, you didn't mention that he's elite or that you believe he has the potential to be elite. And maybe, maybe you don't know. And you have to really understand what you want out of sports for your child and what your child wants out of sports. Now, he's 14 years old, which means I'm thinking, let's say he's a freshman in high school, so he's also coming into that moment where elite players often diverge and don't play high school either because they don't want to they don't think it's good enough, or in some cases, because they're not allowed to. I think you have to really, in this particular case, because you didn't come on with all guns blazing and say this. This is the next Messi. This is guy, this you know, he's got great uh, potential. I think if he is in high school right now, you got to really think long and hard because I have yet to meet a teenage soccer player that is elected to play high school soccer. That regrets the decision. And so while in some ways it might not be the best for his actual soccer development in terms of kicking the ball, I would like to think that you're looking at your son, regardless if he's a leader or not, in a holistic manner, and you want that young man to be the best version of himself. And some of the lessons and the experiences that he will have in that high school soccer that you don't get for a club situation. Don't, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater is what I'm saying. Now, if you do want to go the elite way, obviously there are, I don't know where, um, where, where'd you say you were from? Yeah, Tampa. So there are clubs and there are situations, whether it's MLS nearby, USL um, teams, that certainly could be an avenue. There are regular clubs, that aren't necessarily affiliated with, uh, with professional teams that are there. Um, some of them cost a lot of money. Some of them claim to be the pathway to greatness. But, you know, um, truth in advertising <laughs> at times is questionable. So I, I just think you really have to know your son, Corey, and understand what he wants to get out of this experience. Because if after the next four years... He's not the greatest soccer player that we've ever seen. But through soccer, he is a really, really solid and good young man. Whether it helps him go on, maybe he wants to go into a higher education, whether it helps him get into college, or whether it sends him on his way in terms of experiencing things and discovering things that may be part of his life going forward. If he's a better person for the decisions that you and he made together, then I think you've done your job. And again, we, we focus so much on this. Min- I, I was incredibly fortunate, but I recognized that I was in such a small minority of players that were able to do what I did. And while there are more pathways and more opportunities out there for, for young players, it is still the, the percentage and chances that they ultimately get to the highest level playing professional, playing with the national team, playing in World Cups, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff, or even just making a living being a professional soccer player, you know, the chances are, are small. And so you have to be realistic and honest with your son or daughter, and you have to be realistic and honest with yourself. So, you know, those, that's the way that I think of it. I can't tell you that this is the path that he should take and you should take for him. You got to figure it out for yourself, but hopefully that gives you a little bit of context in the way that I look at soccer, in the way that I look at the experience of sports, but we're talking about soccer here in a young boy or girl's life and how it can affect them and how it can help them and the lessons that they can learn and the experiences that they have, all of that kind of stuff and how beneficial it can be regardless of how far or high of a level they get to.
2: I do admire the honesty of a parent referring to his son as Mm semi-promising. Yeah, we'll see if his son (laughs) listens to the pod. Dad, what the hell, man? (laughs) I do find this to be such a fascinating larger question. I've always wondered, do you think people like Tiger Woods and Serena Williams became what they became in spite of the way they were raised or because? Is it ever healthy to do the force your kid to play eight hours a day the same sport and not have a life and not have friends and not do anything else
1: yeah but i don't i don't care about the tiger woods right because if if you took a thousand of these kids and did the exact same thing with all of them okay you're still gonna have a tiger woods but what about the other 999 have you actually hurt them in the process and that's what i worry about I know we, we talk about soccer, Masi. I know this is a podcast about soccer. I get it. But I am much more worried about developing solid citizens, of developing good young men and women that are going to lead not just what I feel is the greatest country in the world, but in many instances, who knows, other countries out there. That, to me, is much more important. That, to me, is a much more gratifying Legacy to leave—that's what you should take pride in, and I think we we take our eye off of the proverbial ball sometimes when it comes to sports, and it's a situation we've created for ourselves with specialization and with the promise of this golden ticket, when it's still so difficult to achieve.
2: If and when Sean Sullivan has a child, if that child displays even the slightest ability at a young age you think sean will be the type of father to throw himself into it or let the child grow up normally and let the chips fall where they may
1: i i struggle with this because to your point i i think back and i by design came to my kids when they were younger and said listen i am never going to force you to do whatever sport it is but if and when you want to do more I will support you one hundred percent, but you have to come to me and the the struggle is that it, what if they didn't know, or what if they had something in them that you know they're still young, maybe they just they couldn't identify at the moment? Was it my responsibility to draw this out i I, I don't know I, I'm falling on the side of the the choices that I make and I 'm at peace with them, but Who knows? Maybe I could have introduced and judged or forced them to do other things. I'm not just talking about soccer, but other things out there. But they're pretty cool. I mean, we can't take them back now. I was hoping I stuck with them.
2: I was hoping to poke fun at Sean, but you gave an actual serious answer to that question.
1: You know, I mean, we, Sean can make us look good or bad at the touch of a button. So we want to make sure that we keep him in our good graces.
2: I predict Sean Sullivan's son becomes the best high school football player in America and chooses chooses to go to Florida instead of there Tennessee.
1: There we go. There we. go. <laughs> All right, listen, uh, thank you to, uh, to everybody uh, from Miguel to Corey and everybody that sent in questions, comments, and concerns. You can do that just like Miguel and Corey uh, if you want on the State of the Union podcast hotline, which, again, is 657-549-2297. Or send in an Ask Alexi question on all the social media platforms out there. Take another quick break. When we come back, finish up the show with my one for the road.
3: Getting ready to take on Spring. Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more. Right now, save $30 on the American-made steel FS-56 RCE trimmer. Real Steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
1: Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. Mossy, we mentioned earlier in the show that we didn't talk a whole lot about the EPL. There wasn't a whole lot going on. However, there was this play. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, Yvonne Tony, you know this player? Sure. Um, he gets the ball in a situation where it's a set piece and ultimately scores a goal um, against, by the way, Matt Turner, U.S. goalkeeper Matt Turner. But in the videos and the replays of this, we come to find out and see that um, Mr. Tony moved the ball. For those that are watching, you can see it uh, on your screen here. We know that when there is a foul uh, outside of the box, the referee comes in, they have their little foam, and they make a little arc, which is where the kick is supposed to be taken from. Well, not only did he move the ball, but he (laughs) moved some of the foam, so he knew exactly what he's doing. And in a situation like this, and it played out, inches do matter. So a couple of things. First off, who is this on? Well, it's on the referee, because when you turn your back, things will inevitably happen. Uh, I guess it's on the AR, although the AR on that side at that moment has to be worried about offside. And so he can't necessarily be in line with what's going on. And maybe I guess it's on the goalkeeper and his turn, uh, Matt Turner to once again, look and make sure that that wall is lined up because he lined the wall up. The ball was moved serentific, ser- what is the word serentific? What's the word? Sur- surreptitiously? Surreptitiously. There we go. And it changed the angle, right? So you got to go back and look at it. But what I want to talk about is when uh, our good friends over there at NBC came back, um, Robbie Musto, who is a friend and uh, does a wonderful job over there, was apoplectic about what had happened. There are no saints in the game as i've said before there are only sinners now did this go beyond the pale was this a bridge too far in terms of what this this player did fine but again you can't be a little pregnant i mean if you really look at it each and every time a foul is committed the laws are broken and therefore you have well certainly if it's intentional you have cheated so we throw around this word cheating in the game. We have arbiters. We have obviously referees out there that are supposed to stop this from uh, from happening. I know a lot of people looked at this situation and said, well, that's that. there's cheating and then there's cheating. I don't look at it any differently. It was a moment in which a player looked to gain an advantage, weighed the... The cost of it, and the risk, and the benefit, and all that, and came to the conclusion: you know what, a couple of inches here or there, and moving the uh, the foam right there, I'm going to do it. I guarantee they're going to be looking at him going forward. But whether it's Robbie Musto or anybody else out there, we're all cheaters. Again, there there are no saints. We have all been sinners, and in that sense, we are all pregnant. And unless somebody is going to stop you, in this case, it would have to be a referee, you're going to take as much as you will be given. And if you are a referee, if you give players an inch, they will take a mile because that's ultimately where that competitive fire lives. And I know people don't like to admit it or even talk about it, but that's also what makes great players great is that they're looking for just that little bit of advantage and yeah at times they're going not just on the line but across the line and if they get dinged they get dinged but I just thought it was a fascinating look into the mentality of athletes into the mentality of soccer players and also I guess the judgment and the way that we see athletes on the field ultimately Matt Turner let a goal, which isn't a, which, which isn't a good thing. So we can blame the, uh, the cheater on the other side over there. But I thought it was, it perfectly illustrated what soccer is and soccer can be in, in that frustrating gray area of subjectiveness that I know, like I said, frustrates a lot of people out there with the game. I find it beautiful and romantic because I equate it with life in that life is messy. Life is not black and white and neither in soccer.
2: You know, Tony just came back from a lengthy suspension for a gambling violation. So the fun follows this guy around.
1: (laughs) Well, it was interesting. Um, Masi, anything before we go?
2: Yeah, just before we move on from this. uh, Remember the uh, Argentina 4-0 win over the U.S. in the 2016 Centenario Semis? Uh, Messi scored a sensational free kick in that game. And it was a foul where he, he moved the ball up a few yards from where the foul was committed. Remember, he gave himself a better angle to take the free kick. Jurgen and Klinsmann was apoplectic about it, but nevertheless, the goal stood. It happens. To your point,
1: how so? How dare you? So messy. Even Messi is not a saint. Yeah. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, listen. Uh, we appreciate uh, everybody, like I said, calling in today uh, with your uh, with your questions. Big big thanks uh, to uh, Jose Batista for coming on the show and talking about his efforts when it comes to the new ownership of. Las Vegas lights over there, um, and you know we'll uh, we'll have another show later on this week with all sorts of stuff that's uh, that's going on because there's just is news every single day on and off the field going forward. Thank you for reviewing, and downloading, and rating, and subscribing, and doing all the different things that you can do. Long live the Detroit Lions, my friends, and we will talk to you again later on this week. And until then, and as always, size the.